Church, it's so good to be with you this morning. A big welcome to everyone in this campus and all those in the other campuses this morning. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Would you give the Lord a great shout of praise this morning? What a, what a privilege together in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are a little bit restricted with time today, so that's why I've come up a little earlier because there's a possibility of load shedding. So maybe we've got some time afterwards, who knows, as the Lord leads us. <laughs> Can we give the band, let's just thank the band this morning. You may take your seats, thank you. Church, last week was our, our first week back since lockdown, and I must say, I didn't realize how much I missed being together with you all. I drew so much encouragement and energy and hope from our, our gathering last week, and it is my prayer that the Lord will continue to grow the desire in each of us to be together and to grow together week after week, so that we can truly be a church that operates in the revelation of who Jesus is and influence the world around us. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church like that. Amen? Before we get into the Word, let's... Let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you today and we submit our lives to you in the name of Jesus. We are privileged to gather as your church this morning and in our time together studying your word, I pray that you would open up our spiritual eyes and ears to receive your life-changing truth. And as we receive your truth, I pray that we would be inspired not only to be hearers of the word, but to become doers also walking out the plan that you have predestined for each of us, and in doing so, bringing you the honor and glory you deserve. Father, I pray for this word today that you would anoint my lips and the ears of those listening. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. It's so good to be with you all in the house today. It's an honor to bring you the word this morning, church, and I'm looking forward to carrying on from where we left off last week. As you know, we are in, in the book of Acts, and we've come all the way through 11 verses in chapter 1 over the past two weeks. Yes, we're moving slowly, but I'm sure you will agree that going verse by verse not only gives you a deeper perspective of Scripture, but it also gives you a deeper perspective of what it means to be a part of this amazing entity called the church. I'm excited that the Lord is opening up our understanding as He did with the disciples so that we can walk in the fullness of what He has predestined for each of us. So I'm going to be obedient to the Lord and continue in this way as long as, as He directs me to do so and allow Him to develop in us the lasting fruit that we've been speaking about. Fruit that will truly bring restoration to lives and transform cities and nations. In our time together last week, we spoke about the importance of focusing on what instead of focusing on when. Focusing on what the Lord has called us to do and to take our gaze of the things that we can't control. And when is it going to happen? The Lord has a mission for us to fulfill, to become witnesses in our Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that witness goes out in ever-widening circles as we submit to the 
leadership of the Holy Spirit and rely fully on His dunamis power for the work of ministry and this extremely significant calling that we have. We also looked at how the ascension of Jesus prepared His disciples and all future believers for the coming Holy Spirit and for His return. He had to leave so that He could send the Holy Spirit, but He will return someday. And the church must constantly be in a state of readiness because He's coming back in an hour that no one knows except the Father. We must be motivated by the fact that He's going to return. And church, when Jesus comes back at His second coming, He's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. The same mountain He left from, the same one, that's the same one He's coming back to. In Zechariah chapter 14, it says, In that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it shall move toward the south. When our Jesus returns, it's going to be so magnificent that every eye will see it. Every eye is going to see it. And we're going to hear it because that great trumpet's going to sound as well. On that note, church, let's continue reading from verse 12. Have you got your Bibles open in Acts chapter 1? For those looking on your phones or your tablets, we're in the New King James Version. <clears throat> then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Church, what does that mean, a Sabbath day's journey? It means 2,000 cubits. Now you're sitting there thinking, well, that didn't really help me because I don't do cubits. I'm, I'm not into ancient metrics, but I had the same problem. I went onto Google and 2,000 cubits is 960 meters. That's a Sabbath day's journey. And what that refers to, church, is the distance that someone was allowed to walk on the Sabbath. And it is believed that that measurement was established according to the layout of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. In ancient Israel, the camps of tents were situa situated around the tabernacle. And it is believed that the farthest tent in the camp from Israel, from the tabernacle, in ancient times was 2,000 cubits. And so that was the distance that the furthest inhabitant of the camp had to walk on the Sabbath to worship the Lord in the sanctuary. And as far as I can understand from research, devout Jews still use this as their guide for the Sabbath, or what they call Shabbat. Just a footnote for you this morning. Verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot. And Judas, the son of James. Did you notice who's first on the list here? Peter's always first on the list. I'm not sure why. And I guess it's not his fault, but whoever wrote the names of the apostles in any of the times of, of any of these recordings, Peter is always mentioned first. And who is always mentioned last? Judas Iscariot. But he's not mentioned here because he's now out of the picture. 
So Peter is mentioned because he has a leadership role in the early church. He's the guy on the day of Pentecost that preaches the first message. However, Peter's leadership role is going to diminish throughout this book. And we'll find that by the time that we get to Acts chapter 12 through Acts chapter 15, James becomes the leader of the early church. Right, this before Paul assumes a role to take the church to the Gentile world. So Peter's the initial leader, and then James becomes the leader that everybody looks to in Jerusalem to make the final call. Church, interestingly, James, that they're referring to you, is the brother of Jesus. It's not the apostle James that we might think it is. This is James, the brother of our Lord. And believe it or not, one of the brothers that didn't actually believe in his own brother initially, as Scripture points out in John chapter 7. But after an appearance from the Lord to James personally, after his resurrection, he turned his life around to the point where he becomes the head of the Jerusalem church. It's an incredible transformation. And the conversion of James probably led to the conversion of the rest of the brothers. And as you'll find, James writes the wonderful book of James, or the epistle of James, and he's martyred for his faith. And another of his brothers, Jude, is believed to have written the epistle of Jude, and is also martyred for his faith. So they go from unbelievers to believers to church leaders to inspired authors of the Bible, right, to martyrs. What a transition. And what I want to highlight here, church, and I'll continue to try and touch on this throughout the message today is how your worship determines your destination your worship determines your destination with these brothers as soon as their worship was fixed on Jesus nothing on this earth would stop them from fulfilling their destinies even to the point of martyrdom as soon as they realized that he's not just another man that is not just my brother, that is actually the Christ, their lives were immediately transformed. Your worship determines your destination. Verse 14. These all continued with one, in one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, the rest of his brothers. Church, I want to point something out to you here. Mary is mentioned specifically in this verse, and I suppose rightfully so because she is the mother of the Messiah. But what you read about Mary in this verse, look at it and notice it well, because it's the last mention of Mary in the pages of Scripture. After this, she fades out of the story. So the early church didn't elevate her. They didn't venerate or worship her in any way. Even Jesus didn't put her on a pedestal. One day when Jesus was teaching in a house, they, they came to him and said, your mother and your brothers are outside to see you. And he said, well, who are my mother and who are my brothers? That's a strange, strange thing to say to your family that's waiting outside to see you, isn't it? I mean, if I was in the office and someone called me and says, you know, your wife is outside to see you, Pastor Ronald is outside to see you. And I said, who is my wife? That wouldn't end too well now, would it? She would probably answer that question with a question and say, where's your bed? Who's going to cook your food? <laughs> but Jesus was making a point here. And he said, 
Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. On another occasion in chapter 11, somebody came along and tried to worship Mary. They saw Jesus and this person said, Blessed is the womb that gave you birth and blessed are the breasts that nourished you. And you know what Jesus said to that person? He said more than that. In other words, there's more important things than that. Blessed are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. That's what he said. In other words, blessed are the ones who worship in the right direction. So Jesus didn't give any undue adulation or worship her as the mother of God. And the reason I bring this up, church, is because somewhere in the 14th century, there was this weird doctrine that developed that was called the perpetual virginity of Mary where apparently Mary gave birth to Jesus and then for the rest of her life she stayed a virgin. I don't know where that came from because Scripture clearly points out that Jesus had other brothers and sisters. Go have a look at Mark chapter 6. But there's even this belief in the Catholic Church that when Jesus was born, he never came through any birth canal. And because of this, Mary is worshipped in ways that is not prescribed in Scripture. That's a tradition from the 14th century, and this is an example of worship in the wrong direction. This is an example of worship determining a person's destination that leads away from God. Because any worship directed to any other person than to God is false worship. And it's sad to see how many people are being deceived to worship in the wrong direction, even some so-called Christian faiths, all the while not knowing that it's leading them to straight to eternal damnation. And I know those are hard words, church, when we say things like hell and eternal damnation. But these aren't issues that we have the luxury of playing with. These are life and death issues. If you worship anything above God, you're not going to have the opportunity to worship Him in eternity forever. You could preach in the name of Jesus. You could prophesy in his name. You could cast out demons in the name of Jesus and you could still miss the mark. And that's the difference between someone like James, the brother of Jesus, and, and Judas Iscariot. They both experienced Jesus at the, the most intimate level. They both walked side by side with him. They both heard his words and, the, and they saw the miracles that he performed. But one ended up worshipping him and the other ended up being offended by him and ultimately betraying him. And you see, you could walk alongside the truth day after day, but if you don't allow that truth to change you to the point of worship, that truth will end up offending you and you'll end up worshipping in the wrong direction. Which leads me to the final passage of scripture in, in chapter 1, which deals with the replacement of Judas. Let's read together from verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about a hundred and twenty. And said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, 
and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akel Damar, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Church, before I continue, it's important to note that the apostle that they were going to choose had to be with Jesus from the time that he was uh, baptized by John the Baptist all the, all the way through until he ascended. They couldn't just choose anyone a new believer. They, he had to be a witness right from the beginning. Verse 23. And they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Church, the first piece of business the first meeting that the early church had to deal with after the ascension, meeting number one, was about the shocking report of Judas Iscariot. Not just shocking because he betrayed, uh, betrayed the Lord, but shocking because they, they had to deal with the uh, suicide of an apostle. Here you have a follower of Jesus. Here you have a, one who chose, he chose to follow him closely and intimately. He had the opportunity that only 12 human beings ever had, and he was an unbeliever. He is called the son of perdition. And during Jesus' ministry, he told them that one of them is going to betray him. But now they're having to deal with this, and they feel the need to replace him in his apostolic office. And Peter refers to the words of David in the book of Psalms as a reference to the importance of fulfilling what was written. There was the Old Testament scripture that needed to be fulfilled. And then you also have the words of Jesus in Matthew when he says, Assuredly I say to you, that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's an important messianic kingdom promise. And I think the apostles were wondering, how is that ever going to be fulfilled with this guy who we find out as an unbeliever and as a betrayer? So they make sure that they fulfill what was spoken and promised in Scripture, and they chose the twelve. And you know, church, when reading this passage of Scripture about Judas being replaced and, and how his life ended up, I can't help wondering, how in the world do you walk so close with Jesus and you still miss it. It's almost indescribable. He lost the personal presence of Jesus. He lost the powerful fellowship with the apostles in the body of Christ. He lost the privilege of participation in ministry. And he lost his reward in ministry. Excuse me, his reward in heaven. 
And we can't read this passage of Scripture without pausing and taking some lessons from it. Lessons that we need to consider when we walk out our Christian journey. So let's look at some of them this morning. As much as Judas experienced everything while being with Jesus, from the miracles he saw to the life-changing words that he heard, to being so close to God himself, it still never brought him to the place of transformation. He refused to change. He saw the blind eyes opened. He saw the lepers cleansed. He saw the layman running after he took up his bed and, and walked. He was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead and the stone was rolled away. He was there. And yet when it came down to it, he never really changed. The Bible said that when Jesus chose the disciples, he said, I choose you all and one of you is, is a devil. That was directly after he had chosen the twelve. Jesus let them know that one of you is a devil. And the sad story of Judas is that he ended up the same way that he started out. He started as a devil and he ended as a devil. He never let what he heard and what he saw change him. And you see, church, it's not enough just to be where Jesus is. It's not enough just to hear the words of Jesus talk to you. It's not enough just to associate with other believers. The greatest challenge is to let God change your life. Because Christianity is about a better you. Christianity is about a freer you, a more like Jesus you. And you know what? I don't want to ever become so churchy that I can't hang around with Jesus, but he never changes me. And he never changes my attitude. And he never changes my morality and my spirit to become more like his spirit. Judas rejected change. Another lesson from the life of Judas is that he wanted to give Jesus something, but not everything. You see, when he saw that woman, Mary, who broke the alabaster jar that was worth one year's wages, and she pours it over the feet of Jesus, and she starts to worship with tears and, and dries his feet with her hair, it was such extravagant worship that Judas had a problem with it. And he spoke up and he said, for what purpose is this waste? He was upset. Not that the woman gave something. He was okay that the woman gave something. He just didn't think that she should have given everything. And one of the important lessons, church, if you don't want to end up like Judas, is to be like people that have the attitude that I'm just going to give something to Jesus, but not everything. They end up giving and losing it all. And that's what happened to Judas. Judas lost it all. He reached a point where he said, listen, I, I'm, I'm okay to give God something, but I don't want to give him everything. In other words, this, this partial type of commitment to Jesus. And let me tell you, church, where you find joy in the Christian walk is where you surrender everything to Jesus. Will you say, Lord, if I've got it, you can have it. You can have my relationships. You can have my future. You can have my finances. You can have my mind. You can have my body. You can have everything. And when you get to that place, church, nothing will be able to contain your joy because now your worship has shifted off from earthly possessions to a heavenly possession in Jesus. 
Another great lesson from Judas is that he knew about Jesus, but he didn't know him personally. He didn't know him. It's amazing to me that at the Last Supper, the Bible says that Jesus turned again and said to them, one of you is going to betray me. And they all began to ask the Lord, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Going around the table, Lord, is it I? But when you get to Judas, he had a different response. He said, Rabbi, is it I? Rabbi is a term in the Bible that is in reference to teacher. He said, Rabbi, not Lord. You see, Lord is the sovereign God of the universe, but to Judas, he was just a teacher. He wasn't Lord and God of his life. He knew about him because he was a teacher, but he did not receive him and know him for who he was and who he is. And you see, it's possible to be raised in a Christian family or in a Christian church and to know about him, but not know him for yourself. And the way that you know that you don't know him for yourself goes back to what we've been speaking about. There's no worship in the right direction. There's no real change since you've heard about Jesus. And there's no real commitment because you're not willing to give everything of yourself to him. The last lesson from the life of Judas that I want to share with you, and this is so important, if that, is that if you don't finish your assignment on this earth, somebody else will. The Bible said that when Judas betrayed Jesus and he saw him taken away and that they began to beat him and to torture him, it began to torment Judas so much that he took the 30 pieces of silver the thing that he was willing to give in exchange for his relationship with Jesus, and he threw it on the floor of the temple. It didn't work. As we read earlier, he went out and, and tragically hung himself. The rope then broke, and he fell on the rocks, which tore open his stomach, and the entrails, or his entrails, spilled all over the rocks. It's pretty graphic, but it's, it's in the Bible for a reason. And so to make sure that the scripture had been fulfilled, they choose someone else in his place. They choose Matthias. And church, I want you to imagine for a moment the 12 foundations of heaven, according to Revelation. And on each of those foundations, it has a name of each of the apostles. And on one of those foundations where Judas' name has, his name has been scratched out and Matthias' name has been carved into it. Why? Because if you don't finish your assignment, God will raise somebody else up to do what he's called you to do. And here's the big lesson for us today. God does not need me. I need God. God can find somebody to do the assignment that you and I are doing from under a bridge, living in a drug house, sitting in a pub somewhere getting drunk. He can save them. He can set them free. And if you don't finish your assignment, they will come up and take your place. And such were some of us, right? That's why the book of Revelation says, let no man take your crown. What an admonishment. Let no man take your crown. That means that it's possible for somebody to get your reward in heaven. Because you didn't finish strong. You started out strong, but then you, you lost your way. And it goes for all of us, church. As a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, if I don't finish my assignment, somebody else will. If we don't finish our assignment, somebody else is going to do it, church. 
Because the truth is, God doesn't have to have me. I have to have God. And I want to implore you today, if you are in any way casual about your relationship with God, if there's any lukewarmness in your life, if anything is causing you to worship in the wrong direction, if there's no real change in your life since you've come to know this Jesus and you haven't given everything of yourself to Him, if for some reason you only see Jesus as a teacher or a prophet, and because of all these things there's this possibility that you're not going to fulfill your assignment here on this earth, then make today the day when you turn that around. Make this the day. Because the thing that you're willing to take in exchange for your relationship with Jesus, you'll lose anyway, and you'll lose your relationship with Him. So let today, the 14th of March, 2021, be the day where you say, I will not be casual about my relationship with Jesus any longer. From this day forth, I will allow Him to change me, to use me, and to mold me for my purposes, for His purposes. This is the day when I will give Him everything of myself, not just a part of me. And this is the day and this is the moment when I commit to finishing my assignment here on this earth so that when I'm meeting one day, He's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Here is your heavenly reward. Church, I don't know about you, but I want all of him. So I'm willing to say that he can have all of me.